Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of EdTech Today. I'm Kevin Hogan, and with me today is Michael Horn. Michael speaks and writes about the future of education and works with a portfolio of education organizations to create a world in which all individuals can build their passions and fulfill their potential. He is the author of many books, including Choosing College and Goodnight Box, a children's story. Michael is a senior strategist at Guild Education, which partners with leading employers and organizations to help offer education and upskilling opportunities to America's workforce. He is also the co-founder of and distinguished fellow at the Clayton Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovation, a nonprofit think tank. And Michael has been in this space for a long time, offering an incredible number of insights. And I really appreciate, Michael, your time for joining us today. Hey, anytime I get to spend uh, time with you and hang out, it's a good day. Yeah, I say we go, uh, not to date ourselves too badly, but uh, we go back a few. I, I was thinking the first time we met, uh, we were at EduCon in, in Philadelphia with Chris Lehman. Uh, you uh, had just come out with the, the, the book uh, Class Disrupted with the late, great Professor Christensen. Uh, and we were talking about wild, uh, radical theories of education, about student-centered ed education, and about the need for uh, individualized learning, right? Yeah, and it feels so long ago, and yet it's so, uh, I think, pertinent, the conversations happening there, because it was sort of, as I recall, that, that, that time together, it was bridging uh, a lot of what Chris was doing with uh, project-based learning and experiential learning and so many of the things that, frankly, I wish educators had done a lot more of right now with students because, you know, take advantage of your home environment when you're there. Yeah. Uh, and technology, which has obviously been at the forefront of every school's shift uh, during the pandemic. Uh, and so, you know, those two things together, I think, can create a lot of opportunities uh, for students worldwide uh, that, you know, we, that was probably 12 years ago or so that we were having that conversation. That's right. That's right. So, and we could go in many, many different directions here. I know you are all over the map of lots of different podcasts and lots of different segments, really bringing out a lot of uh, interesting insights to this, this, this crazy, wild uh, time of crisis. But let's, uh, I've been particularly interested in your, in your work and the, in the higher ed space. And it's um, one particular segment that most of the mainstream press has really seen it taken on that this is that opportunity or the, the the opportunity to disrupt, right? I mean, that there's going to be a complete overhaul of what higher education means. Um, so give us a little bit about the work that you're doing in that space now and in what capacity and we can dive in a little deeper. Totally. So I, I, I spend a, a couple different, I guess, angles on, on, on that higher ed space. The first is as a senior strategist uh, these days with Guild Education. And Guild is a company uh, that essentially is helping uh, America's workforce uh, gain credentials and upskill uh, so that, you know, more robust workforce, more opportunity for America's frontline workers in particular. Uh, and we do that by partnering with employers like Walmart, Chipotle, Disney, uh, to basically allow them to harness their education uh, dollars that they spend for their employees already toward more strategic aims through our learning marketplace of curated really good online providers 
coupled with coaching that we provide. So mm. we're serving working adult learners. Uh, you know, they've got jobs, uh, but in many cases they need to upskill to stay relevant. Uh, they want to maybe switch jobs. Uh, in the case of a, an employer like Walmart, for example, you know, they're moving much more into being a healthcare company in many ways, right? Having healthcare centers uh, nationwide, there aren't enough health technicians and nurses and so forth to be able to uh, staff those centers. And so they're literally reskilling folks uh, who are working in their stores uh, through educational pathways and programs that we provide uh, to, to, to allow these people to move into these uh, very rich uh, career fields in many cases. So, so that's a big piece of what I'm doing uh, is spending time uh, working on that opportunity with Guild. Uh, the other way I, I, I come to this conversation is, uh, as you know, I have a podcast, Future You, thinking about the future of, of colleges and universities and boot camps and all the rest uh, in, in this country. Um, but I also, my most recent book was called Choosing College uh, to help individuals and parents uh, better frame the, the, the opportunity and questions that they face, uh, not just around college, frankly, right, as that high school student, but really this lifelong learning journey that is so much more important uh, in this era of technology and automation. And as uh, someone who has a sophomore in college and a junior in high school, uh, wow. who is going through this, very, and, and one also as a freshman in high school, um, your book is a, a kind of a piece of therapy, actually, for me, <laughs> because it is such a daunting thing, even before the pandemic, right? Uh, and yeah. a lot of the career pathways, a lot of those, those subjects that you touched upon, those were um, maybe not at the top of mind, but it was certainly something that was surging. But it seems that because of the pandemic, a lot of the aspects of how people learn and how people get hired and uh, pathways have been... I've heard the word accelerated. I've heard the word disrupted. Uh, in the higher ed space, a worry about uh, things being destroyed. Um, give us your sense uh, of the state of play right now in higher ed when it comes to uh, remote learning or career pathways. Um, has it been forever changed as a result of this uh, certain this crisis right now, or was it going to be changing anyway? Yeah, well, look, I think it was changing anyway, but it, this has certainly changed the conversation in some important respects. We know that a dramatically, there was a dramatic drop, right, in the numbers of students who enrolled uh, in college in the spring. I think 13% fewer uh, uh, first-year students coming into college campuses. Uh, I think it's even lower if you look at uh, low-income students and, 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 and black and brown students in particular, disproportionately impacted those populations, significant drop-off of students coming in uh, to college, uh, which is going to have a ripple effect. We know that uh, FAFSA completion uh, for this next year going forward already looks lower, so we're going to have even fewer uh, students coming. And that's against a backdrop, frankly, where starting in 2026, we knew that there were going to be significant demographic declines, particularly in the Northeast and Midwest, but, but somewhat across the country of students most likely, uh, high school graduates, period, but also high school graduates and demographics most likely to go to school. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> these couple years that has sort of created a set of missing students, if you will, uh, is going to exacerbate that, I think, going into that demographic decline that, of course, stems back to the Great Recession when people had fewer kids. Uh, and there's just not going to be that 18-year-old population for large numbers of colleges and universities. 
colleges and universities, I will tell you, were already in a whale of trouble. Their business models, you know, costs were increasing. The revenue there to keep up with those costs was not there on the part of families, students, governments, and so forth. And so they were already facing existential challenges. You have the demographic cliff, you have COVID, which by the way, also increased costs, right, to safely serve and to move learning online and so forth. Uh, that's just a perfect storm for a lot of institutions. And then there's sort of a couple pathways that can happen. One is we go off the cliff and we close or we merge and, and, and sort of there's this non-sustainable future for many schools. There's a second version where we've seen a lot of schools be active to date, which is uh, layoff you know, huge numbers of faculty as they just ax complete departments and effectively restructure the schools. And then the third path that I think uh, builds off of the move to online learning is how do we aggressively serve uh, populations that we've never served before? And that's right. working adults, right? right? There's millions of adults who need upskilling, over 50 million uh, adults, and they're not going to need upskilling just once. They're going to need it a lot of times in their careers. So huge opportunity for new programs to serve the communities and to bring crucially in revenue uh, to keep these schools uh, afloat. And, and that's where I think the shift to online learning in, this, in, in, in all this is so important and meaningful, which is that most schools have not done it well. They've done a terrible job of, of shifting to remote learning. And at the same time, it's remarkable that they've shifted as fast as they have, right? Schools, colleges, and universities aren't known for being uh, fleet of foot, if you will. Right, right. And they made an overnight pivot that in any other year, we would have said that was amazing. And so my sense is the experience that they gain in this, not for all of them, but for some subset, meaningful subset, it's gonna accelerate their move into online learning. It's gonna accelerate their comfort level with it. It's gonna accelerate the comfort level of employers uh, with online learning and really change the conversation such that, you know, yes, a lot of folks will run back to college campus as soon as they can, but a meaningful number, a significant number are gonna say, we wanna to go to places of better value that are online, that do it well, uh, and that are lower cost. And, and uh, you know, I think you see that in some of the growth numbers. Southern New Hampshire University has grown significantly in the pandemic. Western Governors University, Arizona State. Uh, and I think a meaningful uh, number of other schools will also make this switch uh, into the online world, which will, you know, pretty dramatically change what we think higher ed, ed looks like in the years to come. Right. But so, I mean, again, even before the pandemic, there, there were ways uh, where, universities were trending that way, right? When did we start talking about MOOCs? 2013, you had, you had MIT up online with all their courseware up there for free without the credentialing. Uh, yeah. And then you, and you look at Coursera and you look at edX. So there were experiments almost coming from different, different uh, sides of a spectrum. Now it's all starting to kind of uh, come together. How do you see it shaking out? I mean, how do you see those combinations shaping out for the average university? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, actually, I was just on a, uh, a, a webinar with Anant Agarwal, who leads yeah. uh, edX literally a couple hours ago. And, you know, he was talking about the micro bachelors that they now offer through the edX platform. Like, these are real credentials that stack into a college degree. They're, uh, I think he said $170 a, a, a credit, uh, so a significantly lower cost uh, than a uh, even most public colleges and universities these days. Sure. Uh, so way more affordable for most folks. I, my sense is that, you know, the elites are fine. They, they can do what they do. Uh, it's 
great to see the MITs and so forth putting some real energy into this online space because I think a lot of advances will come out of that. It helps to change the reputation of online and, and so forth. Uh, you'll have the mega universities, the Southern New Hampshire's, Western governors of the world that I think have been unbelievable innovators uh, in, in, in this landscape, uh, certainly be major players in what higher ed looks like in the future and, and move the conversation, I think, to a more student-centered place around competencies. You're going to have new entrants like Minerva Institute and, and, and uh, uh, Quantic MBA program and some of these that really totally rethink what online learning looks like in some very cool ways. And I think a lot of middle tier universities are just going to get wiped out in this because they've been making their dollars, frankly, on overpriced graduate programs and master's degrees. Uh, and I think there'll be always a place for a regional online player because job markets are still largely regional and based on who you know yeah but do there need to be 30 of them in the same region offering the same undifferentiated program when you have really high quality serious investment going into an edX going into uh, uh you know a minerva going into a southern new hampshire university i i don't think so like there there are benefits to scale uh, in this game, there are benefits in terms of the learner experience and the coaching and so forth that you can provide. Uh, and so I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think a lot of institutions will, will get hollowed out by this and will perhaps have fewer institutions, but serving many, many more students in mm. ironically more personal ways. Yeah. How much of this um, is dependent on perception? So, and especially through the use yeah. of technologies in online learning where, you had the perception that you're, you're getting a degree from a certain uh, university and the in-person experience there was probably more valuable than, say, having uh, an online lesson like this. Um, I think people are learning that while this is not optimum for a lot of things, there actually are yeah. a lot of advantages to it. I mean, the fact that I can get you on a Zoom call versus, you know, trying to hunt you down at a trade show or, you know, wherever we are it's a lot easier to, to, to get in contact and, and have good conversation. Um, and so that goes to a, a professor talking with a student, my own beta testers here at home. I've listened to them speak more to their, their teachers on a one-to-one -one basis via Zoom. Uh, I've spoken to uh, my kids' teachers. That's neat, by the way. More than I ever had in, in person, yeah. right? So there's these new dynamics happening. Talk a little bit about how if this sort of communication platform becomes standardized uh, and the perception is that you can have a remote learning experience and get a credential just as much as in person, uh, how much of that is an actual improvement? Yeah, look, I, colleges and universities are, have not been historically known for their teaching and learning experience, right? The faculty uh, are there because of their research prowess, uh, typically, and, and not their teaching and learning. And grad schools, until relatively recently, really did not emphasize how to be a good you know, uh, teacher or, or, or what learning was involved in. They didn't teach about the sciences of learning, what the, you know, the breakthroughs in memory and cognition and so forth that we've had over the years. Uh, and, and the reality is there's like a rich research field, right, about how to do teaching and learning well. And so to your point about reputation up front, schools weren't, in, in my judgment, you know, regarded as high quality because of the quality of the teaching and learning. They were judged that way based on the quality of the students that they were taking in on the front end. 
Uh, and it was sort of like a seal of approval because we've sorted you in some way, right, right. up front. Right. And I, I think the major shift is when you go online, it's really hard to get by with that terrible pedagogy. <laughs> it's like, because, uh, you know, this passive learning experience, which the research is so clear, passive learning is like the worst experience you can have, right? Yeah. Um, I just can turn off my Zoom or I can go to another window and do something else. And like at some point, you as the parent, because you're noticing uh, the students themselves say like, what am I paying for? And I think it starts to beg the question or in people's minds like, hey, shouldn't I go to the places that know how to design and curate a really good learning experience? If like, that's what I'm paying for now, right? And uh, and, and so I think it changes like the focus because we, we, we shouldn't pretend that, you know, most remote learning has been good. It's been awful. It's been passive. It's been marked by terrible use of technology. It's been solitary, right? Faculty trying to stand this up on their own when we, the, the best research about online learning is that it's a team sport. It's, you know, it should be teams of content experts and instructional designers and coaches and support, right, coming together to help create a really cool experience for, for learners. That's not how this has largely been done, but I think it puts pressure on us to do it that way and then realize, you know, I, I challenge anyone who listens to this to jump in the Minerva Institute experience and experience a seminar there on their um, active learning platform. It is far and away the best seminar anyone has had here i guarantee you in person or online it's mm. it's just phenomenal it's incredibly active it's exhausting by the way <laughs> um but it's really really well done and so i think to your point at some point we'll say the online learning actually might be a better learning experience than what we had in person now what it won't replace is all the things of value i think uh, that do occur in, a, in an in-person environment in terms of creating connection, building friendships, building network, uh, you know, learning who you are through the conversations that occur outside of the classroom, which are often more impactful. And if I were a school, like that's where I would spend a lot of energy to say, how do I create and curate those experiences and make sure I'm really differentiated uh, in those areas, that I'm connecting people to careers, that I'm connecting people to networks, that I'm helping them make friends, uh, that are going to build a sense of who they are and so forth. H how do I do that really well? Mm -hmm. uh, because in some ways, you know, there's probably some number of winners in the like do learning well space. I, I don't, I, I don't think there's one, but there's probably not, you know, 4,000. Uh, and so how, like thinking about how you combine these experiences, I think is going to be really important. And that, I mean, that, that leads to the possibility of a new sort of, hybrid learning experience, right? I mean, I know there are a lot of graduate programs, my wife did one, where, you know, the experience is primarily online, but then you, you travel twice to meet people in person. And that's, yeah. where, you, that's where you have that social aspect of it and the, the networking aspect. And the, uh, it actually takes some of the pressure off of getting work done in there and just getting to, getting to know people. Can you see something like that beginning to uh, develop? Totally. I think, you know, a lot of hybrid learning experiences, just as the way you described, I think is going to be significant in the future. I would say you're going to see a lot of uh, co-working experiences when we can come back in person where you might learn online, but you, you know, you might decide to do that online learning work in a community uh, together with other folks, right, who are learning or inside of a company uh, even 
where you're having those conversations and networking opportunities and frankly support that peers can give you and so forth, right? Uh, I can imagine also that Minerva helps us rethink uh, you know, like learning doesn't have to be just place bound in, in one place. You could travel around and have a variety of community-based experiences while you're doing the online learning. Just there's a lot of different combinations that I think people can get creative of. And, and the analogy I would say is this, you know, online retail, Amazon, Bonobos, Warby Parker, all those, they've been highly disruptive, obviously, to, you know, major department store chains like Macy's or JCPenney or whatnot. We, we sort of know that at this point, but to get better, they're not just improving their recommendation engines or things like that online. They've interestingly enough been building brick and mortar stores. They don't have huge inventory or, or you know, massive footprints like a Macy's, uh, but they create an experience. So like I can go into the Warby Parker and, you know, pre-pandemic times, right? Try on the right. glasses, get a sense. Uh, you know, uh, bonobos, there's a sense of trying on and then just quickly one click and order on the person's iPad or whatever else it is. And it arrives at your doorstep, right? Um, yep. That, I, I kind of think that's where higher ed is going to go, which is like online learning takes us so far. Uh, there'll be plenty of advances in that medium. But at some point, like there are going to be in-person experiences that we want to curate and craft in really cool ways. Um, that aren't going to replicate a sprawling campus with like, you know, thousands of climbing walls and departments and so forth, but are, are perhaps slimmer and, and, and more intentional. And, and I, I, I think there's wide open space in that. I, you know, I'll tell you one startup that I'm interested in uh, called Shift Up, which is basically it has this idea of learning gymnasiums or learning gyms. Uh, where they're trying to curate, you know, online learners can come here, we provide support for you and so forth. I, I think there's going to be a lot of cracks at this to sort of figure out what does it look like uh, yeah. and a lot of different variations, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that, that hybrid space uh, where, where you sort of bring the in-person experience that is relevant to the learner uh, with, with a robust online experience. And it sounds to me like in general, um, your glass is pretty half full, if not three quarters full when it comes to, <laughs> how uh, higher it comes out of all this. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I mean, I, I would say my, my pessimism would be, yeah, like I think a lot of institutions aren't gonna make the shift. I think there's some faculty, a lot of faculty and students will say like, that was a terrible experience. I don't want that ever again, right? Yep. But at the margins, I think it accelerates a lot of positive trends in the space toward focusing on the things that should really matter uh, for learners. Uh, and that's, you know, everything from the learning experience to uh, being clear about the skills and knowledge that they're gaining to being clear about what's the value. You know, does it help them move up in, 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 the, in the world in terms of jobs? Does it help them live a better life? If the purpose is, you know, to help make them more civically engaged, better citizens, let's be clear about that. Uh, I, I think that sort of clarity that could come from this moment could, could be really beneficial to higher ed writ large and, and, and our society. Well, I hope you're right. You've been I right in the past. I've been following along for, for you for a, for a long time. So uh, you're, you're giving me hope. And this is like a therapy session for me, you know, just <laughs> kind of have these conversations. And uh, I, I think we're going to come out of it. So Michael, thank you so much for your time. Let me, uh, as a final thing, can, for our, our listeners and, our, and folks who are watching, where can they find more of your work? 
Yeah. So you can check out uh, michaelbhorn.com or at michaelbhorn is me on Twitter or I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, mhorn1999, I think is me. Uh, and then uh, Facebook, of course, as well. But uh, those are some easy ways that you can track me down or, or grab my newsletter off of Substack, uh, The Future of Education. Fantastic. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate your time. Hey, Kevin, thank you for everything you're doing. Good to see you. And thanks, yeah. everybody, for watching. Uh, we'll see you at the next one.